Skill. and downs but more up than down <laughs> so yeah 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 man yeah. i always say uh, you got to be appreciative for the inhale and exhale let's not get greedy now right yeah there you go <laughs> getting greedy you want, you want what nah, nah, nah. so yeah we we, we, we pushed through it's about uh shout out to sister cindy ashby and the whole on the wake up radio family um, you know, uh, <laughs> the hardest working woman in showbiz, I like to call her. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and, um, check this out at OTW, that's on the wake up, uh, tube, the T-U-B-E dot com, uh, for, for a video content. Actually, Rob, you and I need to put more video content up there ourselves. Mm. Uh, guys looking to make us look bad. Mm-hmm. But, uh, do time, do time. Um, so, uh, today we got a, uh, a nice little lineup, uh, topic for you, right? Uh, you discussed in the, the Derek Chauvin case, of course. I mean, that's the, one of the biggest things in the news of the moment. Um, the end of qualified immunity. You talk about the NYPD, correct? Correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, Pat Lynch must be... Hey, it's one of those things that, I, well, we'll get to it. We'll and again, like, you know, nothing, nothing is new under the sun. Uh, mm-hmm. Today, uh, this week, uh, was a week with Dred Scott, Dred Scott v. Sanford, uh, when Dred Scott actually filed papers to sue for his freedom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, his, uh, Owner, I don't like using that term. Master is, is uh, uh, I mean, it'd be nice. Uh, took him into a free territory, and so he felt that, hey, we're in a free territory. I, I must have some rights here, right? We no longer in the South. Um, and uh, that turned out not to be the case. <laughs> yeah, cross right. for trying, though. He saw his moment and he tried. All right, you know? right. He and his wife, he said, uh, the rumor was a, a black man has no rights that a white man has to know. To. That's the recognize. <laughs> like that that was the, the court ruling, right? Um that was the decision. Judge Scott B. Sanford, uh that started today. Also this week, uh Hank Aaron uh broke the home run record. Right? And and and, uh, and we we say that lightly and I always say, you know, when you don't discuss free when you discuss racism, it's like um I got I, I could catch COVID and you could catch COVID, but I gotta deal with racism too. Right, I, I can, uh, I can, 
I can get I can get fired from my job, and you can get fired from your job, and I got to deal with racism too. So it's it's a compounded thing that uh, we can't just uh, look at an accomplishment and say, oh, well, I guess it's an accomplishment, right? I um, mean, there was a point in time where um, uh, Hank Aaron didn't think he was going to live to see 1974. Like it was that serious. Matter of fact, <laughs> which which perplexes me is that with all the death threats, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that was one of the, I mean, sold out. I mean, because, they, 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 you know, baseball is kind of methodical. So you pretty much know, like, when he's at the number in the game, that's going to be a sold out game. The, the game in which he stands to pass uh, and, and, and take the, the home run record, he hits the home run, and somehow, some way security still allows people to run up on, on, on run about in the field. So as he's, after he hits the home run and he's rounding the bases, Two college students were able to get on the field and run these tools. Imagine how scary that must have been, right? You get all these back <laughs> I mean, it will motivate you to run faster. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just ridiculous that death threats could exist. Death Everybody knows. do exist. I mean, we've no. I mean, he was living in an age where lynchings were, you know. Not common, but they were still around, you know, they were still happening. And security still allows somebody to get on the field? Well, <laughs> you know. Like. American like, history is uh, full of lapses in security. <laughs> you know. But yeah, uh, Karen. Uh, this week also, uh, we formed the the that's, the SNCC was formed. Uh, that's the Student Nonviolent. Oh, SNCC. SNCC. Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. You know, yes. and uh, I, I'm a like I'm a I'm a history nerd, boss or whatever you want to call it. And I, I'm always looking at black organizations in, in the past and, and trying to see like what worked and what didn't. Because you, mm-hmm. you got you know we all uh, we already understand we got to organize. Like, yeah. We're past that. But now I wanted to get models for organizations. And I always felt that even even more than the Black Panther Party, that mm-hmm. SNCC really uh, was a good example of youth organizing, uh, mainly because it produced so many leaders and a varied amount, kind of leaders. I mean, I mean a varied set of philosophies. Uh, if we look at the chair, first chairperson of SNCC was uh, Mary Marion Barry, who went on. I mean, of course, mayor then. But he went on to be uh, <laughs> started, the mayor of D.C., Marion Barry. I mean, people, mm-hmm. we, we, history, if you allow somebody else to tell the story, anyway, they'll associate him with drugs. But we shouldn't really do that with Marion Barry. Marion Barry was a, a real a real politician who brought back real services. To people well, even if you were to associate him with drugs, then you'd have to associate him with the period after that where the public voted for him again. So what does that say? <laughs> uh, uh, mayor for life. Mayor for life, which is the <laughs> uh, Nobody's uh, perfect, Barry but apparently life. he was good enough for the people who he represented. Man, I, I remember reading stories about how he was mayor, right? You know, you think you're mayor of Big Shot. D.C., this is not a small backwater town. No. And he would still go to the city hall with his lunch and a paper bag. I mean, <laughs> he wasn't about showy. He wasn't about pop and circumstance. And then after that, um, you have... Uh, uh, John Lewis, mm-hmm. right? Uh, of course, and we all know John Lewis, uh, who just recently passed, uh, Russian, yeah. uh, Russian Power, John Lewis. And, you know, of course, he, he was obviously active at a very young age. He actually challenged um, 
uh, what we would call uh, elitism <laughs> with Julian Bond. And I remember when he went to, when he first wanted to run for governor, you know, the the elite of uh, of Georgia said, "No, no, I mean, you you just a child of a you child of a, a, a sharecropper, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm not sure you prepare for this." And elitism does exist, and um, mm-hmm. but when it comes down to the vote, uh, Julian Bonds, whose parents were uh, college professors and highly educated, there's not a whole lot of those folks. There's a whole lot of shit. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can relate to the masses, <laughs> well, we still that, that's why you got a lot of voters getting thrown off the rolls today. You can ask a lot of people in Brooklyn about that. Talk about it. Talk about it. Talk about it in Georgia. Talk about yeah. it. Yeah, this is an ongoing <laughs> thing. It's not just a Republican trick. They love it. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, yeah. And and then it really amazes me. I think yeah, Charles Drew, Charles Dew in the middle of there. I, again, he would be the. I don't want to say he's lesser, but he's the one with least no noteworthy of the early chairs of the organization. And then you move into you move from John Lewis, and then eventually you get to. Um, Stokely Carmichael, a.k.a. Kwame Torre. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, Stokely, whatever I think about Kwame Torre, I smile. You know what I mean? Because um, the father of the Black Panther, of the power movement, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's the one who articulated uh, the, 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 the concept, Black Power. Um, I, I tell folks, uh, you know, the Black Panther Party, right? They used the Black Panther, but they got it from Stokely. Stokely actually used the Black Panther as a symbol when he formed the Lowndes County Democratic Party, right? When he was registering folks to vote in Mississippi, right? I mean, this is, this is, now, people nowadays, they talk about doing voter registration drives. That, that's soft now. Back then, that could get you, that could have got you killed. Really? They're passing laws that you can't even, you know, <laughs> give people water <laughs> as they're waiting to vote now. All right. Yeah. The churches and the student organizations that we're talking about, you know, they, they came up during a time of struggle. There was a different, a totally different weight than what it is today. It's a different environment. Here, it, it is truly a neoliberal paradise because it's not the same kind of overt, brutal kind of, you know, systemic repression or denial of rights or denial of uh, participation. Now it's yeah. it's very methodical. It's it's still codified, but it's not as on the books. It's not the Bull Connor, you know, nigger, not, not that fountain. It's not it's that. Like worse. <laughs> you can't, it's, it's like uh, it's buried in legalese now. It's like a gas you can't smell. No, but you can very definitely define it because you have certain areas of cooperation. Like they, they love to make hay about how well Republicans are always trying to deny people the right to vote because they'll say, "Hey, you can't. You you need an ID or something like that." Yeah. When both major parties benefit from denying the poorest and the most disenfranchised the ability to convenient. When convenient, absolutely. You know, if I can't tell you how to vote, then the easiest way is to make sure exactly who is voting, and that's what they do. That's what that's Absolutely. what it's come down to. Absolutely, uh, and 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 uh, and Kwame Torre had such a profound experience, 
uh, influence uh, that, uh, that I'm going to get to in my next part. But uh, after Kwame Torre, <laughs> that when you think about H. Rat Brown, when you think about H. Rat Brown, Rob, did I ever give you that book? Did you ever read uh, that? No. no, but it does sound like a title that would stand up. <laughs> So now, by the time you get to H. Rat, and if you haven't read H. Rat Brown's book, Die Nigga Die, I recommend you read it. <laughs> Actually, because I give it to, to Brother Kevin. H. Rat is now in jail. He converted to Islam. His name is uh, Jamil Al Amin. But, um, and he kind of sanctioned the book after he already was in jail. Um, and he, he was hesitant because he, he was a Muslim man. He had put that part of his life behind. Mm-hmm. And so you you figure, how does a guy become head of SNCC at Howard University when he wasn't even a student? <laughs> That's awesome. The student just voted yeah. for him. Hey. He talked about opportunity. And uh, I think, again, uh, I read this question some time ago, but somebody wasn't around. And so he got the opportunity to go to the meeting and sit with Lyndon B. Johnson. Oh. <laughs> and he hey, thought, opportunity he knocks. He said, uh, he called all these Negroes uh, making soft and, you know, they're not, they're not <laughs> advocates. And, um, I mean, H.R. Brown was a true gun advocate. So he, he, even if he's walking in a nonviolent protest, he always got a pistol with him. <laughs> and he advocates for a pistol. <laughs> like, the pistol isn't violent. It's people. It'll be violent uh, or not. The pistol's inanimate. Hey, he said, listen, he must be crazy. <laughs> you think he's going to be walking around without a pistol? <laughs> Nonviolent peaceful protest or no peaceful protest? H.I.V. Graham will have a pistol. And um, yeah, I mean, and he, you know, got into a couple of shootouts. <laughs> imagine <laughs> that. <laughs> hey, imagine that. But, you know, and, and actually... By but he's the crazy one for having the pistol, right? Okay. <laughs> by the time we get to H-Rap, that's when the schnick really dissolves and really membership really goes into the Black Panther Party. This is Well, because people are getting shot at. <laughs> That'll change your mind. Philosophy changes. Nonviolent. Student nonviolent coordinating. The nonviolent piece kind of goes out the window. <laughs> you know? And it's a beautiful organization because you see that transition. You go from John Lewis. H-Rap. <laughs> but it's, uh, hey, you know what? It's called evolution. Yeah. Evolution, baby. Man, when you're in war, you're supposed to adapt your tactics. You have to. And it's not as if, it, but it wasn't an abandonment of, you know, the nonviolent tactics. You, again, you like as you've said to me many times, you do need both. And yeah. you do. Well, what I'm saying, though, is that the organization, as an organization, so it's not like we're having two different organizations with two different tactics. We're talking about one organization that philosophy just changes, and it produces these great figures in, in, in American history. Um, and, and different. Yeah, I mean, really different. Cause, you know, and, and what is radical? You know, some people would say, uh, John Lewis is radical. Uh, but then some people would say, <laughs> but those folks... Well, it's a scale, too. I mean, if you're... If you're an advocate of segregation or whatever, then or an apartheid state, then yeah, John Lewis is radical. You know, but then you get the, the to someone like you or I, he's, he's <laughs> the compromise. It's like, what you soft, then you get the hell out of my way. <laughs> yeah. So you get the Kwame Torre, you're like, okay, that that John Lewis is kind of soft. 
But then you get to A flat. But that's why. Like you thought. But that. But if you look at the situation that we're in now, and what we made, what the one of the evils that we just finished naming, the devil we just finished naming of neoliberalism, explains why you have someone, you know. God rest his bones, like John Lewis, who does ascend to the point of power that he does because to the power structure that was comfortable with an apartheid state, he was the compromise. So they saw Kwame Ture and was like, holy shit, someone talk to the John guy, <laughs> please. So him getting to be in a congressional black Congress, and then you have people like you and I who grow up in the world that he helped make we look around and go well wait a minute how come the congressional black congress isn't still pushing harder so it's this that that scale over time you know it martin you know his famous quote about history's arc bending over time well time moves and it's like trying to read a graph that's why you need calculus because the way it slopes, <laughs> you know, you can actually measure that and the gradient and the change. By having someone like Lewis there in a position with that much power without someone else pushing him even, yeah. then you never actually get the energy you need to really accelerate that curve. So the and arc will still bend, but way slow, way slower than even society wants, which is evident by what you have going on now with things like qualified immunity being struck down at least on the city level and we're not the only city either yeah you're absolutely right and um you know the transition of an organization is almost parallel to this transition of uh what i also want to mention today was martin luther king um and uh (laughs) there's a famous interview uh that you probably can look up online so james meredith James Meredith uh, led a march by himself <laughs> in Mississippi. Um, Usually when I do that, it's just called jogging. But, okay. <laughs> I mean, media coverage all night. And oh, okay, behold, he gets shot. <laughs> Damn. He gets shot. And so uh, this, and, and James Meredith, if anybody knows him, he's not an organizer. He's just a dude, he just, you know, a failure. But he's not an organizer. So after he gets shot, that makes him an organizer. <laughs> Look, if he if he had enough coordination and motivated enough people to get a march by himself going without an organization like SNCC or something, then yeah, damn it, he's an organizer. say by himself. I mean, he was the only person walking. Oh, okay. So, yeah. He would be like me jogging. All right. Jesus. Somebody organized myself. He was walking by himself. Okay, so he was trying. <laughs> Not organizing, but trying. Okay. That's a big role. Um. So after he gets shot, uh, Martin Luther King decides to take it up and continues to march on. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, he invites uh, Kwame Ture. And, and we also should remember that uh, Martin Luther King's organization, the SCLC, uh, with the help of Sister Baker, or are the organizers. Actually, SNCC was founded by, with the help of Martin Luther King. He financed it. SCLC financed the foundation of SNCC, meaning... You pay for the students to fly in from over the country and, uh, you know, have, have meetings and things of that nature mm-hmm. with the help of Sister Baker. Um, uh, yeah, there's a famous interview, as I was saying, where you see uh, Martin Luther King discussing his belief in nonviolent resistance and how, um, you know, he still believes in it and it's a philosophy. And then the reporter turns to his right 
and Kwame Ture is standing right beside him. And he says, how do you think about, do you agree with that? Uh, uh, I think it's, he's still, he's Sophie at this point. Uh, but Sophie Carmichael, he says, absolutely not. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and this, but the man had invited you there. You'd think he would acquiesce to him a little bit. Why? Why? He invited him there. If He knew what he was going to say or else he wouldn't have invited him. Or he shouldn't have invited him. <laughs> so there you go. Martin Luther King didn't care if you, invite, you, you agreed with him or not. Right, he just he saw that you were pure of heart, and yeah, he he wanted you to come to his side of thinking, but mm-hmm. he you know he he knew he couldn't do that with rough hands, and so I don't think Martin Luther uh, I think I Martin Luther King would not have gotten to where he was without being able to, I would hope, understand who he was aligning himself with. I think oh, he, he understood who yeah he he understood what he was going to say. No, no, he knows. <laughs> I'm just saying, but it's just interesting to, because you, you watch the interview. You have mm-hmm. Martin Luther King talking in his nice uh, southern accent and his drawl, mm-hmm. sound like a Baptist preacher. And then the reporter turns right to the left and says, Do you agree with this? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And the um, reason why I bring that up is because it was Stokely who actually first was uh, one of the first uh, people to criticize the U.S. about the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, he's walking around Martin Luther King. You know he's in King's there. And then that's why the last thing that I wanted to, to mention that happened today this week was uh, Martin Luther King's uh, speech called uh, Beyond Vietnam, uh, uh, Time to Break Solid, where he outwardly criticizes uh, the U.S. involvement in Vietnam and some of the hypocrisies about sending young poor blacks out to vote to somehow uh, create a more free and democratic Vietnam when they didn't have those same rights back at home for themselves. I mean, well, that was the big irony, anyway. I mean, if we're going to be honest about it, if uh, there's an entire generation of Americans that don't want to deal with Vietnam, that have gone ahead and made the same mistake. And use that. The sons of bitches who actually were alive back then and dipped on service in a lot of cases used the same setup and have condemned one generation and a half to the same fate in Afghanistan. Sure. You know, it, this is a war that we should not have been fighting in this way. If you really look at why would why would the United States, outside of just naked business interest, in a country like Vietnam, take the side of the people who were fighting for colonialism (laughs) (laughs) and then to turn around and you can't even say it was just to stop communism or whatever because at the end of the day we could have had a we could have just moved them on over to a market economy just like they are now think about where your sneakers are made today in communist ass vietnam i always found it interesting maybe 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 we can we can we can we can uh Digress a little bit into this, Rob. Now, what is the definition of communism? Uh, well, the thing is, it, we're dealing when I always have this issue when a lot of people <laughs> discuss uh, politics in our country. We we confuse our economic system with our governance. Well, okay. Economic system with our political system. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Because if that's the case, yeah, you could have a crazy commie country. You could have a socialist economy you can have all types of a blend it's such a negative connotation when communism actually is a 
pretty positive concept. It's a positive concept, but its execution has always ended up pretty messed up. Just like you, if you had a naked capitalist economy, you would have just blood in the streets, yeah. <laughs> like constantly. Okay, so, it, if we're talking just, you know, but application of evil has been perfect. So, I mean, how did communism get such a because in the speech? Because the, well, at the end of the day, you know, that's the what came down after the Cold War. We needed an enemy. They were the other uh, polar power left. So, so it was so us versus the Soviet Obama. Union competing for who was going to be, you know, who's going to get the Iron Throne. So why don't why don't why don't why isn't the criticism of the Soviet Union? Why is the criticism of communism like a because philosophy? that's easy? That is, you're dealing with a country that is still dealing with red team versus blue team, you know, Democrat versus Republican. When that right. isn't even representative of the, you know, the. The you're public's right, right. scope. So when you're dealing with propaganda like that, you really don't have room for nuance. Because then, right. you know, that's going to have people asking questions and then yeah, the yeah, whole plan right. falls right. apart. You I don't like want you, them asking questions. Like if I can just turn it into red team versus blue team, literally red team is the commies, it's so much easier. Because then I don't have to worry about, well, what, you know, what kind of economy do they have? And are people still voting? And are there different parties? What's going on here? No, don't worry about that. They got look at their uniforms. It has that kind of weird beigeish brown color. Fuck it, shoot them. <laughs> Fuzzy hat, kill it. So, you like, so you know, and in it, he really he mentions uh, uh, militarism. You know, uh, he mentions uh, poverty. He mentions racism, of course. And the, the fourth thing that doesn't get a lot of people talking, um, and it's interesting because he's he's also condemning that communism, uh, but he says. Materialism, excessive materialism, is going to be America's downfall. You see, he right? was going to have no friends by the end of this speech. This is the, this is why this speech got him killed. And he, he was just, dead a year later. He was dead three hundred and sixty-five days later. Because okay. <laughs> yeah. now you've upset the capitalists and the communists. You got no friends. Exactly. So I found that interesting that he would condemn materialism and communism. I mean, that's what communism does. Communism is a way of doing away with materialism, allegedly. But no, but yeah. these, he was, but he was right though. He was talking about modernity and actually getting rid of these extremes. Because if you have an extreme type of communism, that is what happened with the Soviet Union. Because you just you didn't have that kind of public behind it. There was nothing left for them except for that authoritarianism to enforce it. Well, I think you know, I think. I, I take that back. The reason why he didn't like communism is because if you listen to Karl Marx, communism also does away with religion. And he was a deeply yeah. religious man. And so you can't have really religions in communist societies. Um, I forget the reasoning behind it. Uh, but so, yeah. So they were, would be opposed to Christianity. And if you ain't know anything about Dr. Lamont Luther King, <laughs> Christianity yeah. is the core of everything he did. So, but at the um, same time, but so does extreme materialism. Because it takes you out of the spiritual and out of any type of faith and grounds you completely in the material and in yeah. the moment so that you are a material creature. Because yeah. if you can't think higher, in both, in both of those extremes, they need that person to not aspire to more. So I have to take away your ability to dream. I have to take away your ability to have faith in something other than this system. And with communism or that type of extreme communism, you have to have faith in the uh, political system, that the party, the body. 
so for the in, nation. In, um, in, uh, Here's the corporation. I, he really, I forget what chapter it is, <laughs> all right? But he really does go into detail in how he developed his philosophy. And he goes through all the different other philosophies and he tells you why he didn't go in that direction. Uh, and of course, so he talks about Karl Marx and he talks mm-hmm. about Nietzsche and a couple of other, you know, uh, philosophers. And he tells you how he, now, he lands up with a nonviolent resistance. Um, nonviolent yeah. resistance can work, but it is, it's also the reason I'm against it, and I will tell you this now, is because it depends. It, the only way that it can work is with a battle of attrition. And that is not good tactics. As a as as your as anyone, not your leader, not anyone, but someone who would join you in that fight. My, I better have a damn better plan than all right. Let's hope they run out of bullets, boys. That's not a fucking plan. Invest in some bulletproof vests, I guess. I know how to make explosives. I'm sure they do too. Uh, yeah, but um, we're about at the halfway point, uh, brothers and sisters. So we're gonna take a break right now. Sit back, sit tight, and uh, on the wake of radio, walk the pill. We'll be right back. So welcome back, brothers and sisters, on the wake up radio. Uh, <laughs> welcome to our second half of our show. Uh, again, shout out to Cindy Ashby. All the other programs here on All in the Wake Up Radio, you can just tune in every night. Uh, we got some real independent radio, right? Uh, and unencumbered by the powers of that be. <laughs> Power to the people. Uh, Rob, how you feeling? Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. Uh, uh, before we jump into uh, our <laughs> the, 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 the Derek Chauvin case and this uh, qualified immunity uh, repeal, see how that's going to look. I want to say uh, happy birthday. Yeah, so a couple of famous folks were born uh, this week. Uh, William Monroe Trotter. Uh, so those of you who are not familiar, in the Boston area, he's one of the founders of, uh, along with Booker T, of the NAACP, uh, the Niagara Movement. Um, uh, in 1914, I see a lot of things. People think about the Civil Rights Movement, and they think about the Harlem Renaissance. But the Civil Rights Movement is continuous. I would say since slavery, <laughs> right? And so in 1914, yeah. <laughs> I uh, demand you treat me as a human being. That's the underlying thing. <laughs> please, please, please. So, uh, yeah, so in 1914, uh, he led a boycott against Birth of a Nation, uh, the film that Disney movie. <laughs> well, People want to forget that. It wasn't Pinocchio, folks. You know, exactly. And so William Monroe Trotter led a boycott, uh, especially when the president, William uh, Woodrow Wilson, Aired it. The first movie ever played in the White House was The Birth of a Nation. And yeah. he, Woodrow Wilson, who's supposed to be an academic, right? Uh, he's a college professor. Said that Where do you think these time. things came from? It wasn't like the ignorant. You didn't have a bunch of ignorant <laughs> sharecroppers going, you know what, Cletus, we should enslave those Negroes. No, these yeah. were these theories came from college professors. These, these were not nice people. Just because you have a fucking degree doesn't make you a good person. It doesn't necessarily make you even a smart person, but you know, I'll give you that much. At least, you know, on a social level, you've achieved X amount. Great. <laughs> but that does not make you a decent human being. <laughs> okay, that's right. 
I mean, because like you know, there's a there's a there's a fallacy that uh, people who supported Trump or vote Republican are somehow backward. That's not true at all. <laughs> There's a lot of educated. I know plenty of uh, <laughs> people who voted for Trump, and they're I would trust them a lot further than I would some people who claim from the hilltops to be stone cold Democrats. And no. So uh, much like last week uh, when we we celebrated the birth and death of Marvin Gaye. William Monroe Trotter was also was born on the seventh of April, and he even died on the seventh of April. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, maybe that's a black tradition. Uh, I he guess, died, yeah. He died on the birthday. Also, I want to remember uh, Robert Small, who famously balancing the equation, uh, stole uh, 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 a Confederate vessel <laughs> and stroked his freedom, and then ultimately <laughs> became a, a U.S. Uh, congressman. Uh, one of my actually one of them is actually doing a project on his life, so I can't wait to see that. Yeah, they yeah that like, sounds really good. Yeah, well, uh, Robert Small, and also um, uh, kind of what we were discussing during the break, Rob. Booker mm-hmm. uh, T. Washington. So his birthday is recognized as April fifth. However, <laughs> it's a uh, guesstimation. Have birthdays. Let's go get the have birthdays. <laughs> So that's always in dispute. You know, they may have kept records, but generally speaking, uh, those records aren't really reliable. When you're born a slave, yeah, you get to make your own then. <laughs> exactly. So Booker T. Washington. I mean, I would consider Booker T. Washington one of the, the greatest uh, Americans. Period. I mean, there was a point in time Booker T. Washington was the most powerful black man in the country. Act uh, W. B. Du Bois. Um, <laughs> he is the first black man. So. So let me get this. So the first black man invited to the White House was uh, Frederick Douglass. Mm-hmm. The first black man invited to eat at the White House was Booker T. Washington during um, during uh, Teddy Roosevelt's administration. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, you know, as when we look at presidents, I always like I always kind of admired Teddy Roosevelt in a way, right? He's you know, his story is kind of, you know, if you, if you read anything about him, comes off as a pretty aspire, aspirational type of character. Yeah, bullish. But <laughs> after he received heat for inviting a black man to eat at the White House, didn't with your daughter in the room? He never did it again. <laughs> he said, uh, he said he got the pushback. He said, then this means it's the right thing to do. But then he never did anything like that again. <laughs> I mean, these had a Roosevelt who's supposed to be scared of nothing. I said, uh-uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going through that kind of heat again. Inviting another Negro to the White House, never again. So, um, yeah, but Booker T. Washington, uh, Tuskegee University, uh, uh, Hampton Institute graduate. Um, I mean, uh, one of the great institution builders and a man who I study uh, fervently. But uh, let's segue that. <laughs> <laughs> into qualified immunity, brother. Brother Rob, so how do you see this panning out? I think it's going to be pretty good, but the the thing is, it's too early to tell because it depends on how it's applied. And this is a situation where it's going to have to be tested over and over and over again. So that's good in a way. You know, you won't, the biggest complaint to any type of real police reform has always been, oh, you know, it's going to make them more vulnerable. It's going to make them, you know, susceptible to this master criminal who's going to just gun them down. 
it's going to make them hesitate, which could be deadly. Honestly, it, it could. This is a case, by doing it this way, especially with the shaven case, as we see with all the testimony, even other cops are like, no, this, this guy was restrained. He was cuffed. He was no longer a danger. And that's why I think it's relevant because for this, for qualified immunity, this will, the idea behind qualified immunity was to shield the officers by giving them reasonable doubt, a blanket type of reasonable doubt. Because of their position and because of the difficulty of their job, if they took it a little far, it was assumed to be okay, which is crazy. By definition, you're giving them a blank check just because of the job they do. So nothing they do would ever literally be illegal. This undoes that. So now it's not that they're automatically assumed to be in the wrong, but it has to be tested. If it's a clear violation of policy, if it, if it would violate someone's rights, then it has to go to the legal test. And my it question, gives... Mm -hmm. My question is, when the, the presumed innocence of the officers, is that something that was written to law? Is that just the mentality of legal system, right? Well, the qualified, the way qualified immunity had been applied, it was giving the officer literally the benefit of the doubt. It was the state already assuming, well, if they did this, it was because they had good reason. And it left them, as a result of their profession, they were given, you know, that plausible deniability. Well, I was scared. That's why you always heard the same refrain, you know, oh, I feared for my life. That automatically made whatever I did in the line of my job okay. But, it but also gave... Hmm? Okay. Qualified immunity also is what was used to help legitimize um, uh, the... Oh, shoot. I, now I can't think of it. Uh, when they were seizing people's property in the course of an investigation. They didn't have to prove that you were actually guilty, but they could still seize the property if they thought that it was used in what could be a crime. Oh, what was it when they were seizing? Oh, shoot, so qualified immunity is not a law, though. It isn't a law. Right? So you're not overturning a law. And um, to my understanding, this is only done in New York State, right? Oh, civil forfeiture. That's what I, that was what I was talking about. Uh, I couldn't think of yeah. the term before. Civil okay. forfeiture. But uh, to my understanding, there's a, there's a Supreme Court case. Um, yes. Pearson versus Ray. Now, does this ending qualified immunity in New York State, that has no... Well, it's just in New York City. Oh, just in New York. I mean, so what does that really mean? Right? So because we... The concept, the, the well, New York Court. City actually has the... Like, we're like the largest police force in the country. So it means a lot. And this will provide the most amount of tests. If you just look at Queens, we have the most divert, diverse uh, public but makeup anyway. So we're a good laboratory. The city can't overturn a Supreme Court ruling. It's we don't need it. We don't need them to. We don't need them to overturn the ruling. What we do need is to be able to test it. And this will also give the um, Civilian Complaint Review Board another tool that they can use to actually add pressure to the NYPD to enforce these reforms. It opens the door also to treating them kind of like doctors. Well, They're trained a, professionals the same way doctors are. So, so if what a doctor has a malpractice case. They may not go out of business, but how are they going to afford to keep practicing? So what this happened? could put the burden on those bad cops the same way that you would with a bad doctor. What happens if I, I appeal this and I take it to the Supreme Court? So I, I, lose, I, lose in state, I lose in local court. 
I go to, I, I feel it, I feel it, and I get to the Supreme Court. What's going to happen next? That I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I mean, you still haven't changed anything at the federal at the federal point. The, the, the qualified immunity. Uh, so let me let me read this here. Uh, so Pearson versus Ray, 1957, was a Supreme Court case in which the court first introduced the justification for qualified immunity for police officers from being sued for civil rights violations under uh, Section 1983 uh, by arranging for the policeman's lot not. So unhappy that he must choose that. My point is, uh, by changing only in New York City, when our legal system is federal, means all that the unions have to do is get it up to a federal court. And yeah. that, as long as this, uh, uh, but that's our, but that's our legal system. I, I really can't be mad about this. It's <laughs> it's it's starting. It up the legal chain before there was there was no legal recourse before by having qualified immunity on the books as it was it left it unchallenged so this it was like the supreme court saying yeah it's a good idea but nobody ever saying well have we actually looked at it have we thought about it it's like the case you brought up before i should technically be free if we're in the north right well fuck i guess i gotta test it but but that's the point the, the testing so like we've discussed on the show multiple times uh, when you go to court, that is the test. This mm-hmm. has already been tested. So what you would have to do is get the Supreme Court to overturn this ruling. And the only way you do that is by bringing the challenge over and over and over again. You're, you're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. <laughs> you're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. You know, th- this I'm is the that. lever to at least have that challenge. Up until now, you, the system has been content with not even asking the question. But who wants to be the guinea pig? You, you down? Nobody wants to be the guinea pig, but that's okay. I'm I'm okay if we never get a guinea pig, honestly, because then that means that there was no case that met that cha- that met that limit where it would be a civil rights violation. That would mean that our cops were out there kicking ass but doing it properly. That would be awesome. that no one had the heart to take it and fight it. <laughs> it I, I doubt that very much. I doubt, considering that you had challenges before. I think that now you would have even more challenges because now you have the ability to even look at the cases to see if they have more merit. Okay. Okay. I mean, you're right. I mean, you're right. Um, you know, um, this opens up the window to, to have it challenged, but you know, you got to have the right case and um, you basically get the, cha- the opportunity to challenge um, this uh, Supreme Court ruling uh, from uh, 1967, Pearson versus Gray. Right? And if you can challenge that, overturn that, then, um, yeah, I mean, that would be truly remarkable. Um, but that book, that is still on the books, though. I mean, uh, what, what a lot of people don't realize is that laws don't mean a whole lot. Laws don't mean a whole lot until they're challenged in court. Now, once they're challenged in court and the Supreme Court makes a ruling, if they go with the law, then that law is ratified on the books. It'd be hell to change it. The Supreme Court actually does have a lot of sway in determining what's constitutional and what's not, and, and what sticks and what doesn't. Well, that's their whole job. That's all they're for. <laughs> it's a big job. It's a serious job, though. I mean, it is a serious job. That's why they're supposed to be outside of politics. But you know, whatever. <laughs> you're like it's like not not breathing in. Being outside of politics is like not breathing in. But um. It's doable. I mean, it is possible, but not with what we're doing right now. Yeah, but um, yeah, that that that's uh, 
do you think they should still be. have the lifetime appointments? Um, you know, now I'm I'm a I'm a conspiracy. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I, I have leaning. Mm-hmm. Um, the purpose of the lifetime appointments is so they don't have to be swayed. I okay, nobody says. I still think that they take money under the table. Now that, that might that might be that might get me arrested. I'm not sure. But I do believe that they still take money under the table. Greed is greed. And um, uh, how would you, and if you make that accusation, you gotta be able to prove it. I understand that. I said think, allegedly, right? I ain't never seen it happen, so. <laughs> but um, uh, yes, I do think they should. Well, the lifetime life. appointment frees, you see, you'd think you're, it's two different things though. The lifetime appointment would free them from political corruption, but then now you have the element of corporate corruption as well. Sure, that is true. completely ignored <laughs> in that calculus. True, true. So, because so, uh, political corruption, honestly, if you in a in a healthier system, you wouldn't have these monolithic parties anyway. So that would make sure. it a little. That would make that side of it a little bit harder. You'd also, with a lifetime appointment, you'd be freer to tell any party or any you know elected rep who also didn't have a lifetime appointment to congress or a lifetime appointment to senate because people actually got a chance to vote for someone other than the party pick chuck schumer looking directly the fuck at you anyway i digress <laughs> you would have some actual churn and flow in your government you'd have some new ideas some fresh blood so if i have a lifetime appointment as a judge i'm literally a little bit more inclined to look at the merits of the case well, that's the you get you right. You're right, the theory, but you're right. It does it, it. It's protecting political corruption, but not corporate corruption, which I do believe exists. Which is you can't tell me nothing about uh, Citizens United. That don't make any sense to me. Corporate. You've always had corporate corruption, but it's now we've taken it and put it on steroids. Corporations have freedom of speech. Yeah. When they spend money, that's freedom of speech. I ain't never heard that nonsense in my life. That was. I think that's absolutely yeah. crazy. But it's the world we live in. So we gotta mm-hmm. adapt to it, but um, I do believe I do. There's we have to figure out better ways of. Uh, well, the thing is, a corporation can use speech and have speech, and if you want to look at it that way, they're using their money yeah. to purchase time or airspace. It's still impending on the public. We can turn that shit off too, though. At the end yeah, of the day, we need to be. We really do need to unplug away from these corporations. The way you spend your money is your freedom of speech, which is true, Mm -hmm. but they extend it to corporations. I mean, corporations can't, next thing you know, corporations can vote. They're going to say, oh, corporations get a vote. You mean? They're they're legal entities, they should have the right to vote. Well, they do that now by proxy when they buy politicians. True. You're going to tell tell me that, you know, you're going to tell me that an insurance company you know, is going to just, they just like the cut of your jib. They, they like your, what you stand for. So that's why they're funding you. No. Yeah. 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 Um, it's again, um, I guess what's the word they say that America isn't the perfect system. It's just the best one we've developed so far. <laughs> I'm not, no, well, it's the best one money can buy. <laughs> well said, well said, well said. Um, uh, what are we, yeah, and so uh, let's close out with, uh, I haven't, well, actually, I did see something. What have you heard about the uh, case recently? Well, the thing that uh, got my attention more than anything, because honestly, I'm just, I've been, 
I'd been content to just leave it without comment until we get a verdict because, you know, history's a pretty good teacher. <laughs> so, but what got my attention is the fact that witness after witness that you would think would be for the defense, their testimony has been for the prosecution. You've, you've had cop after cop and medical examiners and everything else just come right out and be like, no, this is well beyond any procedure that, that he's clearly yeah. out of line. Yeah, and they, that is something that is just unexpected. And what one, it was unexpected. It's unexpected. And two, the fact that it is unexpected is just so disheartening, <laughs> you know, but it is good to see that it, for whatever reason, there's, you know, like, a sort of a shift in this case. Yeah. And that shouldn't go without comment. I think that's something that we should see more of. We, we want, you know, apparently they found that one bad apple and they're going to make it. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. The one, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you needed that one at the same time. I, I know I joke. I can't help it sometimes. But you needed that one to have the example, so that they, so that anyone inclined out there to behave like that and think that being a cop is the way to do it, they'll think twice, and hopefully that'll keep them off the force. But you still have like the Beyond the Taylor case, which is going on addressed. I mean, you do. One you do. And you know what though it. Nothing's going to ever bring those people back, but God damn it, we can stop there being from being another. Hopefully, you know, M me remembering those people or seeing these people who were strangers, honestly, but we were all invited to their funeral. Yeah, I don't. I'm tired of going to those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, so, those um, are the public. Those are the, like the big public streaming events. For like how many years on end now? Yeah, Those are the so highest that. rated viewed shit on Facebook, morning after morning, and that was with a black president. So who gives a fuck? Yeah. This is actual progress. You ain't never lie, brother bro. You ain't never lie. But uh, we're coming up on the close of our show. You have anything you want to leave? Uh, any thoughts you want to leave uh, the listeners with? Oh, duh. <laughs> Not after that, no. I'll leave it where it was. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> oh, Mic drop. Uh, I'm going to close out with a quote from uh, Robert Small. Uh, My race needs no special defense for the past history of them in this country. Proves them to be equal of anyone. All they need is an equal chance in the battle of life. Right? <laughs> to my Africans and those of you who are African adjacent, all my Africanettes, uh, brothers and sisters, until uh, next time, on the Wake Up Radio, Walker Gapil, Oz Bryan, Robert F. Williams, Cindy Ashby, producer, engineer, extraordinaire. of guerrilla war is not to succeed. It's always been just to make the enemy bleed. Flawed individual. 
Cindy Ashby Production. 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 Ashby